Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Monroe Live Podcast. I am your host, Eric Platsky. I am a producer director for a lot of the content you see across the Monroe Live channels. And today we have another content creator as our guest. He's the man behind some of your favorite donut media videos, Tyrion Armstrong Ingram. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks very much. Um, so I'm Tiernan. I work for Donut Media. I'm a producer, writer, and content creator working behind the scenes on what might be currently the largest automotive content creator uh, in the in the U.S. Yeah, you guys are huge. Yeah, we are, and you know we don't tend to stop and take a look at how big we are, but we do notice when we surpass venues like Motor Trend. <laughs> So you've been a writer producer over there for just over three years now? Yeah, just over three years. I started out as a writer primarily um, and started to take on more work very quickly and then came on full time in a capacity doing writing, producing um, vehicle sourcing. One one of the things I do there is I'm, I'm the primary vehicle coordinator. So every time we need a you know, a unique vehicle or a press vehicle, I'm the guy who goes out and gets it. So how long have you been writing and when did you start? Wow. So that's, <laughs> I, I probably have been writing as long as I've known how to write. Um, I spent a number of years in graduate school and really had to hone my writing skills there, which had nothing to do with content creation or automotive. Um, but what that helped me to learn how to do is how to efficiently do research and how to efficiently write in a way that removes the fluff, which is something you absolutely have to do for any form of content creation. You just got to like get to the point, don't include too much. And when I speak, I tend to do that. Um, but in writing, it's all about like quick, let's get the information out there and keep it moving forward all the time. And writing in graduate school was very similar to that. So we already talked about how big Donut Media is, but for those who don't know, can you tell us exactly what Donut Media is and how did you get your opportunity to work with them? Sure. So Donut Media started about seven and a half years ago um, as a media production company that just wanted to focus on cars in a way that wasn't currently being done. A lot of car content is very journalistic. It's very, um, let's do either deep dives for hardcore enthusiasts or um, reviews for people who are in market for vehicles that they're actually shopping. And we thought there was an opening there to do something that was entertaining and fun with cars that didn't demand a high level of knowledge or interest among the viewers. So, you know, you can sit down, you can watch it with your family and they'll still be entertained by it. They'll still learn something and started doing that. And it sort of 
you know, it's changed and grown over the years, um, but always had that focus on being entertaining and a little bit educational. So it's not, you know, just empty, you know, junk food content, like a lot of YouTube content is kind of junk food content. And, you know, it's, it's, it's changed and developed over the time. And by doing that, the audience has just grown. So when I joined Donut three years ago, the audience was just over 4 million subscribers. And today we're at 8.3 million, I believe. Yeah, you guys have an impressive channel for sure. So have you always been a car guy then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I've been, I, I loved cars as soon as I found out what they were. And, you know, when I was a child riding in the back of my mom's old Volkswagen Beetle, I'd be looking at the cars going by and trying to figure out what they were, you know, and is that one fast? Is that one cool? You know, and, and as, you know, as a six-year-old, I was doing that. And so I've always had this love of cars. Very cool. Yeah, for me, um, I'm still not a car guy. I've been at Monroe now for <laughs> oh, almost three years. And I like I like cars. I appreciate cars, but I've never been like a car guy. I'm more of a comic book nerd, movie uh, nerd, that kind of stuff. But I definitely yeah. I mean, I I am too. I mean, you know, I've I've been into I'm like science fiction nerd, comic books since I was a kid. You know, and and I think that's sort of core to what I enjoy about the content that we create is you know we want to embrace the fact that people can be more into more than one thing. You know, and that you don't have to be whole hog, you know, completely, you know, like you can name every different engine code variant of LS engines or something like that to be a car person. Like, that's not what it means to be a car person. It's just like appreciating cars. And so we really wanted to hit that audience and say, you know, this is for everybody. Everybody gets to be a car person to the extent that they want to be. One of the things I really like about your guys' content is you guys let all your individual personalities come across. Um, so for our process, we're very run and gun, no scripting, no reshoots. We film on iPhones, but I'm curious about your process. How much time and effort goes into research and from start to finish, how long does it take you guys to produce a video? <clears throat> that is a great question because there isn't a simple answer and that's because we do more than one type of video. So some of the videos that we do are very heavily scripted and that's mainly so that we're very accurate if we're telling a historical story or something overly technical. And so we wanna make sure that we've got those details right. And so writing something like that probably takes a period of several weeks. Um, you know, just to, and, and multiple rewrites and so on, just to make sure that we're getting everything right and it's really nailed down. Then on the flip side of that, we've got our content that say build videos, for example, where we're modifying a vehicle that we have. And that will have sort of scripted segments to kind of fill in a bunch of the details that we know we want to include and we want to make sure they're very clear and concise. And also that we're not giving too much information, you know, we don't want, we don't want people's eyes to glaze over. We want them to, you know, stick with us the whole time. So every video has some scripted component to it. Um, the amount of scripting really depends on the type of content because we also want there to be freedom for our hosts to 
say things on the, the spot and react to whatever's going on around them because each of our hosts is a personality in their own right. And they are, you know, the person that you see on the screen is very, very close to the person that they are, you know, when the cameras are off. And we want to make sure we capture that because that's part of the feel that draws viewers to our channel is it's like you're you're hanging out with these guys. And so we want to make sure there's enough room in there for them to do their own thing. So pre-production time, you know, it varies a lot. It's going to be, you know, in the order of a couple of weeks for a standalone episode. It could be months if it's more complicated. For example, we did a um, we drove every Honda Civic where we took one Civic from every generation of that vehicle and drove them all back to back. That's 11 cars. And that took probably six months to pull all of that together, working with um, American Honda, working with private owners, working with the aftermarket tuning companies. Um, and so you, for a bigger scale project like that, it can be on the order of six months to, to get something going. Shoots typically are one to four days of shooting, depending on the video. And then the edit process is typically two to three weeks after that. So we invest heavily in pre-production and planning for everything that we do because, I mean, there's, there's you know, <clears throat> an industry, an, an industry phrase of um, bad word in, bad word out. Um, <laughs> and, and we really adhere to that. You know, you've got to make sure you're investing in the pre-production to make sure that the outcome is polished. If you're not, it won't be. Very cool. Um, so to piggyback on that, how long from like a concept, like do you guys have a huge backlog or do you guys like focus, try to focus on one or two videos at a time? Um, so I'm just one member of the creative team that works behind the scenes. And so there's me, several others, um, you know, shout out to, uh, Joe Weber, Max Maddox, um, uh, I'm not going to remember to name everybody here, but you know, um, Kane and Garrison is really important. And our host Nolan Sykes is very important with respect to developing episodes. He does a ton behind the camera. And I don't think people realize that. Um, I'm working on probably eight to 12 episodes at once, um, at various stages of pre-production. And so there's this overlapping production cycle. You know, we're we're now releasing two episodes a week, and that's down from at our peak. We were doing five to six episodes a week, and so working on eight to twelve videos at a time is 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 a cakewalk compared to how things once were. Um, but what that means is that the scale of each of those videos gets to be larger. They get to be more interesting and bigger, and so there's this overlapping production cycle, and we try to be planning you know, one quarter ahead. And so about three months ahead, that doesn't always work out. Um, and sometimes we see an opportunity, we have to capitalize on it. For example, recently we had an opportunity to shoot a short segment with Alexis LFA. And we realized there was another video that we could make while we had that car. And we realized that like three days before the shoot. And so we had to get that second video scripted and outlined and figure out what it was going to be. So there's a lot of flexibility and variability in how long it takes us to go through anything, but absolutely everyone is is following that same process where they're probably working on at least eight projects at once. I'm always envious of uh, channels like yours that get to take time and plan and prep and produce because, uh, like I said, we film on iPhones. 
it's usually never scripted. It's usually one take. It's real. It's raw. And we based that channel off Sandy's personality. And it works for what we do, but I'm always envious of people who can like, you know, bust out the drone and have cinematic shots and like, uh, as much as I love Monroe, it feels like uh, it may, it's making me a lazy filmmaker in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I definitely get that. Um, and, you know, Donut wasn't always like this. When I started at Donut, our production cycle was much, much shorter than it is now. And that's because the content that we were doing was, and this was a, an effect of COVID, um, the content that we were doing was largely like um, green screen, talking head, and it was, you know, the interesting part happened in the edit. Now, we've said we don't want to do that anymore. We want to go into the world and actually do things. And that requires more planning, obviously. What it also requires is a team of people who are really dedicated to what they're doing. And that's and there's a question you asked that I didn't answer, which was how I got my start at Donut. And it's pretty similar to how everyone gets their start at Donut, which is you spend a huge part of your life doing two things. The first is being obsessed with cars. Everyone who works at Donut is completely obsessed. And the second thing is being obsessed with something else. In my case, it was writing. Um, I honed my skills as a writer completely independent of my obsession with cars. And the videographers that we have and the directors that we have, they honed their directing skills, their shooting skills, their, the editors, their editing skills, because they were obsessed with that too. And so we get a lot, a lot of people that say, hey, I want to come work for Donut. What do I have to do to come to work for Donut? I love cars. I'm completely obsessed with cars. And I always tell them, be obsessed with something else too. Because millions of people are obsessed with cars. You know, they have all the knowledge in the world. But you have to have also honed a certain skill that then gets us that, you know, that look that, donut has that isn't it's not run and gun it's not shot on a phone it's very polished very highly produced but also has a, a warmth to it and a feel to it where it doesn't feel like you're you know it doesn't feel like you're watching marvel cinematic universe right you know it feels relatable it feels comfortable and warm and that really is the product of that obsession with a specific production method or technique and that definitely comes across. It definitely comes across relatable. Um, yeah, so the the issue we, we run into here at Monroe is all of our hosts are real engineers working on real jobs for clients. So a lot of time it's like, you know, I'm pulling them off a paying job to come do a video for me. So unfortunately, you know, some of them prep on their own. You know, I help them prep whenever I can. But a lot of it's just like, you know, we have a car up on the hoist. They come in, they look at it for about 15 minutes and they're like, all right, go. And like Jordan, for example, off the top of his head is just brilliant. He can just go and just not miss a beat in one take. And it's amazing. So, but so going yeah, back, I, no, go ahead. I, well, I think that it's, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because our hosts are people who, you know, they're obsessed with cars like the rest of us, but they're also obsessed with being hosts, with being personable and presentable and, you know, and giving that material to everyone. And I look at our hosts, you know, James is, 
you know, he's a trained comedian. He came to Los Angeles many years ago because he wanted to be a comedian. Um, and so he has that personality, he has that wit. Jeremiah is a trained engineer. He has a master's degree in engineering. You know, he worked as an engineer before coming to Donut. Zach is a mechanic. He worked as a mechanic for years before coming to Donut. And so each one of them had something else that they did prior to this. No one came to, to, to Donut as a writer originally. You know, and so they developed these these skills, but they're also obsessed with, you know, being a host because now Zach doesn't have to be a mechanic to earn a living. You know, Jeremiah doesn't have to be an engineer to, to earn a living. He gets to incorporate that knowledge and that obsession into what he's now doing. And that's something I think makes our cast really unique and special is that, you know, and a lot of people don't realize the amount of skill and training that they have. You know, um, so not only are they great hosts, but they're actually like really good at something else, too. Yeah. And it's not easy being in front of the camera. We've been lucky that a majority of the engineers that we've have put in videos are also good in front of the camera because you think, you know, engineers, you know, some of them are usually kind of quirky. You know, they're really smart, but they're very um more, I don't know if it's right or left brain, but not more on the creative side, more on the analytical side. And we've been lucky that they've been, for the most part, like really good in front of the camera. So going back to your writing, a couple more questions before we switch topics here. So when I'm filming videos for Monroe Live, I film for the edit because, you know, we don't do a lot of post-production. When you're writing, do you write for the edit? Do you think about the edit when you're writing? Absolutely. Uh, you know, James said something in a meeting with the entire creative team, which is that everyone needs to think like a director. And so in writing, you, my process, other people's process is very much to be visualizing that end result. And I'm often leaving notes for the editors to say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this at this segment or found this, you know, to include or created this style of animation. And so the scripts that we hand to the host, the director on the day of shooting, um, and directors also help with editing scripts as well. So they're very in the loop, but you know, it's not, we don't just hand them a script, but the script that they have on the day is very close to what the final product will look like. And that's good because it makes the system efficient. We don't have a lot of written segments that get cut. You know, sometimes something doesn't work out, right? But we're really streamlined with what we shoot, that we shoot exactly what we need and very little more. So, yeah, everyone is thinking about that end product. Everybody's visualizing every step along the way. Yeah, sounds like you guys are all on the same page. That's awesome. So what, um, when it comes to cars, what is your favorite topic to write about? Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's, that's difficult. Um, I, I really enjoy writing about, uh, I really enjoy writing about new technology. I think like when something really interesting comes out that could even be speculative or prototype or, or something, that's something that I think maybe this goes back to being a sci-fi nerd. 
But when someone comes out with, you know, some company announces they've developed something that does some amazing thing that we haven't been able to do yet. I look at that and go, okay, I want to understand that. And then I want to explain that to other people so they can get as excited about it as I am. So have you guys done anything with the Cybertruck yet? We haven't. Um, so we've done, you know, we've done a number of videos that focused on Teslas and we've got, you know, at least one more that's going to be coming out in six weeks or so. And along the way, we've really focused on the products that were already available and figuring out how they work, often being critical of how they work. Um, you know, there are choices that Tesla has made with respect to, say, how the self-driving systems are going to work. Um, that, you know, we and other people in the industry recognized as being not necessarily, you know, not agreeing that it was the best way to go about it, right? Um, so we've done these analyses of existing Tesla systems, Tesla vehicles, and we haven't had a chance to get into any content about the Cybertruck yet. And in large part, that's because Tesla historically has not made vehicles available to members of the media. So when we have done things with Tesla where we've needed to feature a Tesla, we've had to source a private vehicle. There's, there's not press vehicles from Tesla like you would get with every other manufacturer. And that makes things challenging because if we do something about the Cybertruck, we want to have a Cybertruck there. We want to show, not just tell whatever we're going to say about the Cybertruck. And so we really do want to do something with the Cybertruck and soon it's a matter of having that opportunity to get one. Fortunately, Donut is a large enough um, entity at this point that, you know, as soon as Cybertrucks are being delivered to customers, it's likely that one of those customers will be a friend of the channel and will be able to get a Cybertruck on soon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so let's dive into that. So I'm also the vehicle coordinator here at Monroe and, um, so we obviously go the press vehicle route. We've done, um, you know, out rented vehicles and outsourced them. How is your relationship with all the OEMs? Because there's some that um, love us and will work with us. And there's some that refuse to give us a press vehicle. Yeah. So our relationships with OEMs are very good for nearly everyone a little bit weird with a few of them and very bad with one <laughs> what's what's the bad one um come on so what's the bad the, one we did a video about the 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 tiktok social media fad the the kia challenge where we explained what that was, how it works. Are you familiar with the Kia Challenge? Maybe I, I should not. back up. Yeah, what's okay, that? So, they, so there's there were a group of people in a number of American cities, Minneapolis, Chicago, and so on, that had figured out that base model Kias that don't have remote, they don't have push button start, they actually have a keyed ignition, that you could actually very easily steal one of those basically by uh, ripping parts off of the steering column and then um, uh, cramming a USB plug into the opening and turning it and it would turn on the car. Oh, interesting. And so Kia and Hyundai, same company, same problem, got 
a lot of heat over this because people were like insurance companies were saying that they wouldn't insure those vehicles against theft. Um, there were lawsuits that were filed about it. We're we want to figure things out. And so we were like, is this fake? Like, is this actually happening? Like, what's going on? And, you know, Kia and Hyundai theft rates were skyrocketing. And so we figured out how to do it and we showed how it works. We're like, this is how all these cars are being stolen and why and why people are upset. Um, the people at Kia and Hyundai were not happy about this. And they said, our video showed too much. They felt our video was an instruction manual. So they asked us to, um, they, they, they initially asked, I don't recall if they asked us to pull the video. I think they just asked us to like edit certain segments out of the video. And we said, we can't do that because although we are not journalists, we do apply certain journalistic standards to the work that we do. And because we'd had a previous sponsor relationship with Kia and Hyundai, Hyundai specifically, the thought was that it would actually be a breach of ethics for us to remove some factual content that we released because a former sponsor asked us to do that. They understood that. They were like, okay, that, you know, that makes sense. And so they asked us to edit certain parts of the video just to obscure things to make it a little bit less obvious how this was done and we did that we said yeah that seems reasonable and so we did that um but last i heard i heard this second hand um we are blacklisted by hyundai and kia they will not they will not send us any vehicles they will not let us let us shoot with their vehicles like they that they, they were they were upset about the the how we reported and how we covered that that incident. But I will say that absolutely everything we said in that video was factual. It was, we weren't making anything up. Plus you said, if it's a TikTok challenge, then there's thousands of videos showing the same thing. So what are yeah, they Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah. Well, what, what they care is that, you know, our video got 2 million, 3 million views, maybe, I don't know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Whereas these, you know, I think the thought was that our one video was greater than the sum of all of the TikTok videos, but I don't actually think that's true. No, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so I don't know why, but GM for whatever reason will not give us a press vehicle. Probably because, you know, Sandy used to work at Ford. I don't know. But GM just, and Lucid for some reason, also is not interested in collabing with us at all. But all the other OEMs are like, you know, yeah, sure. Here, have a car. Do what you want. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. And, you know, we have we have good relationships with both of those companies. Well, good. We're, we're, Tell Lucid not, you know, to get us a car. Yeah. I'll let them know. We're not disassembling vehicles that come into our shop. So, you know, it's a little bit different. We've never taken apart a press vehicle, although BMW <laughs> does get a little mad when we do our hoist reviews and take off all the uh, air shields on the bottom. Like we put mm. them back, but we want to, you know, show. Of course. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wish uh, I wish Lucid because uh, they're one of the car companies that I'm really interested in, like learning more about. And they just, we've asked for interviews, we asked for press vehicles, we asked for tours, you know, nothing. So. Yeah. You know, Lucid, Lucid vehicles are genuinely very, very good. 
as cars. Their software and, is not, but. Well, yeah. So, you know, leaving that aside, um, but as cars, they're, they're impressive to, to someone like me. And I can see why they would be hesitant to give a vehicle to someone who's going to do too deep of a dive because I feel like the company is in a precarious position right now and needs to be very protective of their image. You so, know, as it's it's startups, right? Yeah, but we we torn one down for a client and we posted videos of their battery and a motor on our channel and we absolutely love the motor and we've said you know, so publicly multiple times, but they still uh, not willing to play ball. But going back to um, the vehicle coordinating. So I'm assuming like you, you have opportunity to drive all these vehicles just like I do. That's one of the perks of getting all these cars. So out of all the EVs you've driven, say this past year, what has been your favorite one? Porsche Taycan, no question. Um, for me, the Taycan is, it's the only EV currently on the market that is designed for people who really pick apart driving dynamics. So hypercritical people like me, basically, um, driving the Taycan is like driving a sports car. Many of the other EVs on the market, they put a lot of focus on the, the stuff that sells, right? So, you know, um, range, zero to 60 times, things like that. I think due to the nature of how Porsche engineers cars, they said that's not, that's not good enough. And so what they have is they've got a vehicle that has, you know, the range isn't as good as, as other vehicles. Um, the zero to 60 time is fast, but it's not as fast as like a Model S Plaid. Um, but I mean, zero to 60 time, in my opinion, is overrated. Like, it, yeah, they're, yeah. They're all super fast and no one's driving that fast anyway. So like anything right. sub four seconds is good, in my opinion. Yeah. And the thing is that that's, you know, so zero. To, this is a weird analogy here. Zero to 60 time to me is like, it's like Clippy from Microsoft Office. You remember the little paper clip that like would help oh, you yeah. do oh, stuff? Oh, I'm old enough so, to remember that for sure. <laughs> so Clippy was a feature that would sell the product when you first used it, right? Like, oh, isn't that neat? And then once you used it four or five times, you were like, I'm bored or annoyed with this, right? So having an electric vehicle that has an insane zero to 60 time is something that is really fun the first few times you actually use that feature. Once you're trying to do other things that we do with cars or other ways that we enjoy driving, that sort of becomes, in my mind, it's a little disappointing when you find out that all the car does well is that zero to 60 and that there's other vehicles that are doing every other car thing slightly better. Um, so I agree with you, you know, once you're under four seconds, it's like, who cares? It's yes, it's fast. Do something else. Yeah. Uh, the Porsche is unfortunately one I have not driven yet. Um, out of all the ones we've had at Monroe this past year, I, my favorite one, like just driving is probably the BMW i4. It was my first time driving a BMW and I just loved the way it handled. I thought it was a, a great car. 
it almost looked like it had a wrap like the blue that was on it it almost looked like a wrap it was a cool color like i thoroughly enjoyed that car yeah that's my second favorite ev right now um because that one is really good and i when i drove that car um i you know what i had in mind is this is the future of the three and four series bmw and i'm all for it i mean that that car was because it just felt like a car like it didn't it didn't you know they didn't go overly spaceship with things and then when you drove it it was really nice to drive like it was just a really nice car to drive it was fast enough certainly um but it felt good it was comfortable the you know most of the controls made sense um yeah i mean give it but even even non-electric bmws are, are a little bit weird these days. everything's a little bit weird these days um but yeah i'd say that that bmw is probably my it is definitely my second favorite ev on the market right now unfortunately another one i really want to drive but i haven't had a chance yet is the the hummer just because it's you know the size of a tank that you know zero to 60 in what two seconds like i just i just want to drive something that big and ridiculously fast just for the fun of it yeah same and we did a video with the hummer where we we did a tug of war with uh the hummer ev and an old hummer h1 and it didn't it didn't work it, it wouldn't actually work because we couldn't get something about the programming of the H1. It wouldn't actually try to pull the Hummer. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually spin the wheels and, and try and, you know, and, and so, so the EV basically sat there like a boat anchor and said, no, I'm an immovable object. Um, but I didn't get to drive the, the, the Hummer EV um, because I wasn't, um, I wasn't at the studios at the time that that was being shot. Um, uh, because I've worked much of my job remotely and so I'm not always there and I'm disappointed that I because same thing like it's supposed to be just completely ridiculous because it is this massive what is it how what does it weigh it's like it's it's insane it's like three tons or something yeah, like, like that. nine thousand or something yeah and and that you know it has this crazy acceleration in something that is the size of you know a small school bus Right. Yeah, it's just absurd. And I just like, I would never yeah. buy one, but I just want to drive it for a day. Just yeah, just, one time, just to have fun <laughs> with it. We yeah. uh, tore one down for a client, but when they dropped it off, it had um, the battery was completely drained. So we dropped the battery pack. So no one here drove it. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the downside of Monroe. I don't want to say downside, but at least for my perspective sometimes we get these cars that tear them down for clients and they're already completely drinks we're pulling the battery packs and i'm like i just want to drive it like we had a, a portion here same thing completely drained we tore the battery out didn't get to drive it well that is a shame and you should definitely turo a tycon if you ever have the opportunity um it, i think it's one me, of the best looking cars out there i've always yeah, been a porsche fan though it's a great looking car. It's not perfect. Like there are definitely things about the Taycan that are, are flawed. Um, but for me, I think that was the vehicle where when I drove it, I was just like, wow, EVs, like an EV future can be bright for a car enthusiast. And that really shifted my thinking, especially with respect to like what would make our audience excited about EVs. And the biggest shift was, I think that what you get from a lot of car enthusiasts is this obsession over 
the sound. The sound isn't there. The sound isn't there. You drive something like the Taycan and you don't care about sound anymore. Like, it's just like, yeah, fine. The sound's not there. I don't care. Speaking of sound. So I knew nothing about EVs when I came at Monroe. You know, I knew obviously who Tesla was, but knew nothing. And then uh, all of them make that weird spaceship sound and it drives me nuts. I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, you know, it's, I think it has to, it's similar to the, why the interiors always are kind of weird and, and strange where they feel like they've got to like reinvent the wheel or something like that. I think that's one of the reasons why I liked the BMW so much is I felt like enough of it was just, this is a normal German sedan, um, you know, and they weren't trying to go overboard with, you know, let's, let's put the gear selector on the ceiling kind of thinking. All right, going back to my questions here. You mentioned you wrote 50 episodes of the Bumper to Bumper series for Donut. Yeah. Um, can you explain what that series was and was that your creation? Yeah, so it was not my creation. Bumper to Bumper existed before I started working at Donut. Um, and in its initial incarnation, what it would be is every video would be a deep dive into a single vehicle that the host would have there with them. And they'd talk through the features of the vehicle and made it, what made it interesting and unique. And in most cases, it was a heavily modified car. Race cars were featured and that sort of thing. But not always. There were other cars that were on there, like um, the, the Pininfarina Batista was one of the vehicles that was in an episode, I believe. And when COVID happened and like going out into the world shooting became a challenge, bumper to bumper shifted. And what it became was our science and technology explainer show. So we would take some piece of automotive technology. It could be something that existed for a long time, like limited slip differentials, for example. Um, that's something that is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wizardry box to a lot of people, even car enthusiasts, um, where they know what it does, but they don't know how it does it. Um, or it could be something new, like, um, oh, I can't recall if we actually produced this episode or not, but the um, Koenigsegg made this incredibly powerful electric motor that was like really small. It was, you know, they, they showed it next to a monster energy size drink can to show how small it was and made these ridiculous power numbers. And what it would, what Bumper to Bumper did is takes one of those topics and devote an episode to getting into some of the details for people who are interested, but don't want, you know, they don't want to read a manual. They, you know, they don't want to get a deep dive, but they want to understand more about this technology. And so what I did on bumper to bumper in that second period, when it was about science and engineering is I was part of the creative team that was pitching ideas, figuring out what we were going to shoot. And then I would go off and, spend a week doing research and learning everything I could about this. And then, you know, writing the script, um, working with Jeremiah, the host, working with our showrunner at the time, Claire Schwartz, um, and, you know, getting it really polished at the right level of explanation. So we weren't like, we weren't going to bore people by telling them too much, but also making sure we were giving enough context that people would understand the significance of certain developments. Um, and so that's what I was doing on Bumper to Bumper is, you know, uh, throughout the pre-production creative process, coming up with the ideas for what we we're going to shoot, um, writing the scripts, getting them to, you know, to the point that they could be shot and then passing that off to the production team so that they could do it. And then once the edits come in, I would also review edits to make sure there weren't any like factual details, because sometimes an animator might 
get something wrong in the animation, we'd have to redo it and that sort of thing. I think that needs to be the next evolution of our videos, similar to your bumper to bumper or similar to what uh, Jason from Engineering Explained does, you know, just taking one topic, spending 15 minutes on it, not overly explaining it, but explaining it enough that you understand it and it's interesting. Um, again, our issue is, you know, just we don't have the resources because, you know, we're a YouTube channel second, engineering company first. So, well. yeah. And Jason, Jason Fenske is definitely, you know, he was, he was influential with respect to bumper to bumper. Um, you know, we, we, we would cover some of the same topics, um, you know, from time to time. And then when I was trying to figure certain things out, I'd often be watching engineering explained videos or other videos on YouTube to try and figure out how some piece of technology works because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a mechanic and I'm not an engineer. Um, I, I spent a great deal of time teaching. And so I was pretty good at, um, understanding something enough that I could explain it in simple language to, to people who had no background. Um, but yeah, I was relying heavily on YouTube videos, you know, general audience articles, and then digging into like white papers and engineering reports and stuff like that. And then when I get lost, I'd like try and find another source for it. But that was something that was really important is um, not every source gets things right. We certainly didn't get things right all the time. And so doing more than like using more than one resource to try and sort of triangulate, okay, what's the agreement on what this thing is and what it's capable of and how it works. Yeah. We had Jason on our pod and he kind of said the same thing, like he'll research it. And if enough people are saying the same thing, then he's like, all right, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. So, um, so back when, uh, Corey started the channel, um, engineering explained, um, Rich Rebuilds, um, Jerry Rig Everything. Those were like the channels that kind of inspired Mineral Live when we started. What, um, if any other channels, do you take inspiration from? Uh, well, there's one really big inspiration that's not a YouTube channel, and that is Mythbusters. Who doesn't love Mythbusters? I know. And the reason why Mythbusters is, is core, and we talk about Mythbusters a lot, is because Mythbusters did this thing where they made programming that was so engaging and entertaining that adults watched it not realizing they were watching a children's science show. That was how good it was. Because if you really think about it, that's what Mythbusters is. It's a kid's science show. But it was just next level with respect to the storytelling. And so when we're thinking about what we're doing and whether we're, we're doing something at the right level, you know, there's this thought of, is this at the Mythbusters level? Is this something that is, you know, like, is this something that, that a Mythbusters viewer would, would tune in for this? As far as uh, YouTube channels that we're inspired by, um, I think that from a from a YouTube sense of things, you know, we're always looking to the people who are really successful and thinking, you know, how are they doing this? What are they doing that's that's working for them? And so we're looking at, you know, the big people like Mr. Beast, for example. And it's not that we want to do what Mr. Beast is doing because he's got his own style um, and his own type of content, but we're looking at that to learn whatever we can about how to do things. 
Recently, I think that Jason Camisa, um, he has he and his team because he's got a great team has really elevated their productions at this point. They're so stylistic and they're so polished and well-made that I know that I and some of those on the team have recently been incredibly impressed with some of the videos that he's put out. Yeah, we just recently had him on the pod. The video should be out this week. Um, first time talking to him, super cool guy. And like learning about his process was really interesting as well. Like his uh, Cybertruck video was probably the best video that came out when everyone started releasing videos on the Cybertruck. For me personally, um, like I personally take inspiration from, uh, and they're not like car YouTube, but like Casey Neistat, I'm a big fan of his storytelling and I'm a big fan of like Peter McKinnon and his, um, just his B-roll. So when I'm, those are always been inspirations for me that I've kind of brought over into Monroe when I'm filming or editing, you know, that's what I pull inspiration from, from since I've been in the, you know, more in the auto space. Um, I definitely pull from like, um, like you guys I've been watching since I started at Monroe. Um, we don't do nearly as cool stuff as you guys, but you guys have been inspiration and definitely like Jason, as we mentioned from engineering explained. Yeah. On a personal level, I, I really enjoy yes theory. Okay. I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with that. And I think the reason why that appeals to me is because I think they're very good storytellers. Um, And I think that, you know, I mentioned that with Mythbusters as well, which is that there's this element of storytelling in what we try to do where we're trying to, take factual information and turn that into something that satisfies um, an audience member's desire to hear a narrative. You know, so it's not just a list of facts, this happened, then that happened, then this happened. But saying, here's why all this stuff happened and why it matters. Yeah, I mean, storytelling is key and it's part of the reason why Donut is so huge right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot is because, you know, many of the people on the creative team, you know, are are writers at core, you know, because we are we're storytellers at core. And, you know, I think that that is something that really makes a difference with respect to what we do versus other automotive channels is that you've got people who are really into automotive. They might be really into making videos or hosting and so on and so forth, but they're not necessarily thinking about telling a compelling story you know they're not thinking what can i do to make my audience say wow i never thought of that or you know the best episodes the ones that i absolutely love and the ones that james loves are the ones where you know where we make the audience cry you know when you've actually managed to tell a story and touched someone in that way um that's tremendously rewarding you know, and we don't do many of those anymore because we don't do as much of the sort of historical stories that we, we did in the past. Um, but every once in a while we get to do that. We did an episode about the Subaru 22B, for example, which is a very special model of Impreza. And the link that that had with Colin McRae, the WRC um, champion who died a number of years ago. And being able to tell his story along with that car was something that touched all of us and I think touched a lot of people in our audience. 
So what do you, what's your take on some of these tech channels that are getting into the car review space? Like uh, Marquez, who I, I've been a fan of his for years, but him and some uh, like John Rettinger and some of the other more tech-based reviewers getting into the automotive industry. I, you know, I love, I love Marquez. I think his, he's such a great personality um, and so tremendously knowledgeable and thoughtful in what he does. And I'm, I actually welcome that in automotive because I think that when you look at automotive review content, there have been a lot of the same voices have been the loudest for, for generations, specific media outlets. And as we transition to cars becoming, um, let's say advancements in car technology being advancements in electronics technology, um, you know, you look at where automakers are investing when they're doing annual trade shows and automakers are, they're, they're not doing for the most part, they're not coming to SEMA anymore, which is the aftermarket trade show that happens every year in Las Vegas. They're going to CES, the consumer electronics show. And that makes sense because vehicles are becoming consumer electronics. And it would make sense that people who review consumer electronics would then start doing vehicle reviews and would have insights into that, that someone coming from an older automotive journalism background isn't going to have the same insight. And I think that it reflects a changing relationship between individuals and vehicles um, as electrification increases, as you look at younger people's attitudes towards vehicles, um, that it absolutely makes sense to me that electronics journalists, electronics YouTube channels would now be turning their eye towards cars. And I think they have the right sort of critical eye to be doing that. Yeah, like I've been subbed to Marquez for years and I used to love his um, autofocus videos before he made his channel. I thought some of those were some of the best videos he produced because, you know, like I like iPhones, I like laptops, but I can't watch a review of every single one. I just don't care that much. You know, just give me my new iPhone and I'm good. But yeah, I think it's great, especially because um, like when I'm doing research, like I'll go to Doug DeMiro's channel because nine out of 10 times he's had that car first months ago. So I can go and look and just see, okay, here's what the car looks like. Here's what he says about it. And then I'll go to other channels like, uh, like Marquez, for example, and say, okay, what is, what technology does he really like about this car? And so it's for me, like, I love it. I'm a little jealous that he gets better access than we do, but you know, I think it's cool that it's coming, um, more people are embracing the EV. So, so yeah. And I mean, I share that, I share that jealousy. Uh, he's, you know, he's gotten some pretty, pretty privileged access to certain vehicles. And I think, but I think rightfully so, because, you know, I think the automakers look at what he's capable of. Um, and they say, that's the guy that we need looking at our product, you know, not necessarily someone who's more mainstream older automotive. So what is your daily driver then? My daily driver is a 2013 BMW 128i. 
Would you like me to explain why? I don't have to. <laughs> I mean, if you want to. Um, okay, well, historically, BMWs have made cars that are very nice to drive. Um, however, as car systems have gotten more electronic, more computerized, the first iterations of those generally weren't, uh, the implementation wasn't something that really appealed to someone who is used to older, more mechanical systems. And so the reason why I have a 2013 128i specifically is because it's the, this is a weird reason. It's the last BMW that has hydraulic power steering. It does not have electric power steering. And I, I'm stunned every time I get out of a new press vehicle. I'm like, wow, that car was really great to drive. And I get in my own car and realize that my steering is so much better than you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar modern cars that are using electric power steering, because they're still working on that programming. They're still trying to tweak it, and there's some very good ones out there, legitimately. But for me, being a connoisseur, let's say, I'm so focused on that driving experience. I said, no, you know what? I want this one. I want the most modern car I can get that has old timey power steering. So what's what's next? What are some big uh, videos you guys are working on? Um, well, you know, I, I can't say too much about what we're working on yet, but oh, come on, we spill it. We just <laughs> we just finished. A, well, we didn't finish necessarily, but we sort of reached the culmination of a series where we built up a $500 Civic to try and beat the current Civic Type R's lap time at Streets of Willow. See, see, those are some of my favorite videos when you guys take like the cheapest parts on Amazon and then build up a car like those are some of my favorite videos. Yeah. And, you know, there's definitely more of that. We've got another very well known model of vehicle where we have bought an old crappy one and we're going to be building it with the target being, you know, the top of the line current model that wears the same badge. So that's one of the big projects coming in 2024 is, is another build like that. Can you, can you give a, what company? Can you give that? No, can't uh, say. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one, I'll give you one piece of information. And this is actually, this makes it, this, this honestly makes it unique. It's American. Hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll have you tell me off air. I have some ideas, okay. but all right. So we're approaching an hour. Um, to me, this has been fun because I never get a chance to get behind the camera and I never get the, you know, I always, when I meet other content creators, I like hearing about their process. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for having me on. I'm very rarely in front of the camera. I'm actually like, I, there's, there's lots of donut videos where you can see me darting off camera <laughs> um, just because I, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't tend to put myself in the position to be on camera because I know that they're funner, more funny, younger, more attractive people than me that we have on staff that can do that job. Um, but I do also appreciate talking to a fellow content creator and learning a bit more about about your process because one thing I love about this industry is that there's so many different solutions to similar problems and seeing the solutions people come up with I think is really interesting and we can learn a lot from each other and then take that back to our own process. Yeah. You'll see me like occasionally like a reflection in the car or every now and then they'll call me out by name like, hey, Eric, come over here, look at this and point or whatever. Or, um, you know, Sandy yelled at me in a video, but typically I'm not in front of the camera, but 
yeah, this has been fun. I appreciate you coming on. And um, do you want to give a shout out any of your social media? Where can people find um, you? So you can find me on on Instagram. I'm um, uh, at Tiernan.ai, I think. Um, and I, uh, I recently have been posting more short form content on their reels because I, I do like to make my own automotive content in my free time. Um, what little I have. So it tends to take me three months to get a reel out. Um, and that's about it for social media. I've got my Instagram and, uh, have a little bit of fun there. I want to thank you for coming on and for everyone out there listening, rate us, review us, give us five stars. If you only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe you are a hater and we'll see you on the next one.